Good morning. The Bible reading today comes from Ecclesiastes chapter 3, starting at verse 9. And that can be found on page 587 of the Church Bibles. What does the worker gain from his struggles? I have seen the task that God has given the children of Adam to keep them occupied. He has made everything appropriate in, his time, in its time. <clears throat> he has also put eternity in their hearts, but no one can discover the work God has done from beginning to end. I know that there is nothing better for them than to rejoice and enjoy the good life. It is also the gift of God whenever anyone eats, drinks and enjoys all his efforts. I know that everything God does will last forever. There is no adding to it or taking from it. God works so that people will be in awe of him. Whatever is, has already been, and whatever will be, already is. However, God seeks justice for the persecuted. Well, please uh, keep your Bibles there at Ecclesiastes. We're in a thematic or a theology or doctrine series, which means we're going to move around the Bible. Um, for those who would like to know where we're going, I've include everything on the screen and you can write notes um, to go back and look at the things we've looked at. But we will spend some time in Ecclesiastes 3 in a few minutes. Well, time is too slow for those who wait, too swift for those who fear, too long for those who grieve, too short for those who rejoice. But for those who love, time is not. American author Henry Van Dyke Jr. wrote this often quoted poem. It was quoted at the death of Princess Diana. He wrote it for a garden sundial in 1904. And that little poem, it captures the beauty and the power of time. Time is always there. Tick tock. Yet it's uncontrollable. It's never ending in hard times. It's too short in good times. And so maybe love, Van Dyke hypothesizes, can transcend the boundaries of time. We all live in time, and it's distributed each day with complete equality. The billionaire, the tyrant, the toddler, and you all have 24 hours in every day. No one can buy more of it. No one gets better quality time. Time happens as we sit here in church. Time happens as we sleep. Time, time happens as we scroll over and over again through social media. Time happens as we just potter in the garden. Yet time drives us crazy. Where has the time gone, we complain. Why do I feel so time poor? How much time do I have? In Psalm 90 verse 12, Moses asked God, teach us to number our days carefully so that we may develop wisdom in our hearts. To number our days is not to count down time, marking notches as we hurdle towards death. 
learning to number our days is grasping who we are as God's creatures and when we are in history. Because when you grasp who you are as a creature and when you are in history, you still won't be able to control time. But you'll be able to live wisely in time. And that's our prayer for our next four weeks. Dear God, help us live wisely in time. Now time began as we know it at creation. Before creation, there was the eternal God, the Father and the Son and the Spirit, living in complete contentment, sacrificially loving each other. But at a moment we call the beginning, God pressed go on time when he said, let there be. Because then it result, the result of that was something different to the eternal God. There were stars and planets, comets, water, air, soil, birds, animals and flesh. Every single thing he created was temporal. It was made to live within time. It had a beginning, it would change over time and often have an end. And the pinnacle of God's creation was humanity. Genesis chapter 1:27. So God created man in his own image. He created him in the image of God. He created them, male and female. Every single one of us is carefully and wonderfully made by God. There are no accidents in the world. There are no mistakes. But whereas the stars and the waterfalls and the animals, they reflect God's glory, you and I, we bear the image of God. This is a photo of uh, Victoria Falls in Zimbabwe. It doesn't do justice to the scale and wonder of the real thing. But it gives us some idea of what it's like. There is always a direct link between the image and the reality. You and I are moving images of the real God. We're limited images. We have, are often imperfect images but when we look at each other, we are seeing an image, a photo of the real God. That means you and I reflect the character of God and we reflect the purposes of God, especially when we sacrificially love each other and the way we rule and care for our planet. Yet we are very different to God. God is all-powerful, all-knowing, all-wise. God is never frustrated. God is never tired. God is never worried. You and me, we've got limited power. We've got limited energy and limited perspective. You and I, we are finite creatures made for his purposes. So that means we've all got a beginning. We all live in time. We all grow and we all age. And we will all die before being raised to new life. Our creaturely limits are not caused by sin, though we are impacted by sin. 
Our rejection of God has brought curse into our lives. It brings broken relationships, frustration, suffering and physical death. But when we sinned, we didn't go from being immortal and all-powerful to suddenly being finite. We are always being finite. That's what it means to be a creature. Now, the Bible describes the human life in a profound way. It's a Hebrew word. The word is havel. It's like a big guttural breath. Now, that word means mist or vapor or breath. It's the word all the way through Ecclesiastes, but it's there in Psalm 39 on the screen. Lord, make me aware of my end and the number of my days so that I will know how short-lived I am. In fact, you have made my days just inches long. My lifespan is as nothing to you. Yes, every human being stands as only Havel, only a vapour. Learning to number our days starts with the billionaire, the tradie and the surgeon, the man or the woman, the young and the old, grasping that life is short. It is elusive. It is impermanent and unable to be controlled. We are dependent creatures. And when we fight that or deny that, we will all live a foolish, frustrated life. So how are we to live this short life? Never-ending road trip? Sit by the fire and read a book? Or live to cruise? Now, they're all good things, but they're not our purpose. How do you understand your purpose? You're an image bearer. You've got to look at the reality. Look at the image of the one who we bear. And our God is a worker. In Genesis 1 and 2, he, is a, he was busy, creative. He was a persistent master artist. And since creation, God continues to work. God is right now busily sustaining his creation and implementing his plans through his word. Now, you step back and go, I'm an image of God. Therefore, that has to be a connection. Therefore, you and I were made to be workers like him. In Genesis chapter 128, he tasked us to rule and care for his world under him. We are made to be busy. We are made to cultivate and care, create, build, innovate, populate, parent, nurture his creation. What a privilege. You get to work with your hands, get to work with your mind. You get to work in the home, parenting, caring, loving people. You get to go to work wherever that is. You get to be paid for it or not paid for it. You are doing exactly what you're created to do. Now, yes, we are limited workers. We have to go to bed at night and we are tired. Yes, we can be frustrated to ourselves. And yes, sin frustrates our work. Sometimes we're even destructive and we ruin the planet. But the problem isn't the work because God made us to work in time. So it's not surprising as you read your Bible, Proverbs 6, 2 Thessalonians 3, that God speaks against laziness. God speaks against idleness. That if you or I are a sluggard, then we are presenting a false image of the God we reflect. In Ecclesiastes 3, the teacher 
is wrestling with work and time. See the question he asked in verse 10? What's the point of a lifetime of toil, sweat and hard work? Great question. But note in verse 10 that work is not the problem. Work is not the problem because God has given to the children of Adam busyness to be busy with. That is the creation. So the teacher also knows how life works. That you and I, we're Havel. And all of the gains of our work are Havel. When was the last time someone asked you about the mark you slaved over it to get an HSC? Havel. It's gone. It's a mist. You know that beautiful toy you bought five years ago, the beautiful car in your garage, the beautiful house you're building now, that technology you saved up to buy, that fashion you saved and went and bought in Venice or wherever? It's all a mist. It's all in the back of your cupboard. Some of us are working on global solutions to injustice or medicine. That is brilliant. You all know that it will be replaced by another global problem of injustice and another body that doesn't work. Our memories of holidays quickly fade. And whatever you've done in life that's famous, it's already nearly forgotten. That is creation. And we could sit here today and be tempted to give up and say life is meaningless. And some people who translate Ecclesiastes do that. They go, oh, life's meaningless. It's not. Because God puts eternity in all of our hearts. It's a little bell in everyone's heart that reminds us that this is not all there is. Now, it does not mean your achievements, great mum, excellent surgeon, will be on your name tag in heaven. It won't be. That's all Havel. But it does mean that God's image bearers are made for eternity. It means we'll be raised to life after death. And God sees and will bring to justice everything that happens in time. And so the teacher helps us be wise. Because what he does is he recognises that life is not about pursuing gain. It's not about pursuing achievement. It's not about pursuing safety or security or pleasure or comfort because it's all Havel. And so the illustration in Ecclesiastes is it's like chasing the wind. Go home and do it this afternoon. Go chase some wind. Like you just can't catch it. You can't do it because it will all fade. The wise life is working really hard at being a mum or a surgeon or an electrician and enjoying the gift that God gives you in that work. See it there in Ecclesiastes 3.12, I know there's nothing better for them than to rejoice and enjoy the good life. It is the gift of God, whatever anyone eats or drinks and enjoys all his effort. It's the satisfaction of doing your best at school and learning things about God's world and yourself. That's the gift you who are teachers are giving your students in the classroom, not a mark or a report. 
It's the delight of a long, hot, sweaty afternoon driving your online, your mower or whatever you've got, or pulling out weeds or installing solar panels and just knowing as you get to, the, get to sunset, job well done. That's a gift from God. It's the little smile you receive from a child who's cried and cried all night. And it's that little gift that helps you be a selfless parent for the rest of that day. It's the gift of meeting God's creatures in God's creation. It's a memory that will fade, but it was beautiful in the time. It's the quiet celebration of a 17th wedding anniversary that no one at church knows but you are turning your back on a family history of brokenness and you are doing something new. You see, we number our days by thankfully enjoying the gifts that God gives us in our hard work. Is there a better animated movie than Toy Story 2? There isn't because I've got the mic. (laughs) Woody and his friends are rocked by the arrival of a new shiny toy, Buzz Lightyear. Everyone loves Buzz except for Woody, because Woody is jealous. Yet Buzz has a problem, doesn't he? He really thinks he's a star ranger who can fly, shoot and defend the universe. So here's my favourite bit. Woody says, you are a toy. You're not the real Buzz Lightyear. You're an action figure. You're a child plaything. Buzz says, you're a strange, strange little man. Woody says, oh, yeah, well, good riddance, you loony. Buzz says, I set my laser from stun to kill. Oh, great. If anyone attacks us, we can blink them to death. I won't go on. From Genesis 3 onwards, every human has refused to accept that they're not God. You have... Buzz Lightyear moments every single day. We pretend we're in charge. We forget we're creatures and we try to control time. J.K.A. Smith says this, humans constantly overestimate the degree of their freedom and forget their creatures. This leads to constant foolishness and frustration. To pretend we are God is utter foolishness because it does not change a thing. All it does is devastate life and relationships. It turns us inwards. It fills us with anxiety and makes us look like total fools as we give our life not to people but to things which fade away. Rejecting God's word leaves us out of relationship with God and destined for judgment when God raises us all from the dead. You know, God would be totally, totally justified just letting us destroy ourselves. Yet he doesn't. He is invested in his image bearers. And so in great love, he sent his own son to the world as a human to save us. On that cross 2,000 years ago, Jesus offered himself as the once and sufficient sacrifice to bring rebellious people back into relationship with the Christ, with God, with the Creator, sorry. When you look at that screen, what you know is the perfect image bearer gave his life for the broken image bearers. 
and he was risen to new life to offer eternal life to all trust him. Instead of letting us destroy ourselves, do you know what God does? He grabs you by the shoulder and he says, you are not God. You are a creature. Admit your foolishness. Embrace your creatureness and come humbly under your generous God. Because remember, God is a generous gift giver. And so if you are on your knees before God, he will give you forgiveness. If you are on your knees before God, he will adopt you into his family. No questions. If you want to be restored to being an image bearer that reflects God well, it's found humbly under Jesus. Where are you doing your life in relation to your creator? Are you eyeballing him or are you looking at his knees? One is a foolish way of living. So how do we live wisely as God's people in time? Well, the answer is clear, isn't it? We look to the perfect image bearer. We look to the one who did human the best. Because Jesus is not just your saviour, he is the perfect image bearer. He is our model. He was fully human. Jesus needed to rest. Jesus needed to sleep and eat. Do you know Jesus only had 24 hours a day? And it was a blur of activity. He was teaching, travelling, healing and caring. There were crowds with him all the time. There were people demanding his attention. If it was the 21st century, Jesus would get more email than you. Jesus want, There would be more people wanting Jesus' time than Elon Musk. When you think you're busy, you're not in his league. Please don't see Jesus as a Zen master who did yoga and pondered the sound of one hand clapping. That is not Jesus. Jesus was tempted to be sinfully busy just like you, but was never frantic, never anxious, never irritable, never unreliable, never distracted. He had more expectations on him and he had more opportunities to do good things and he never sinned once. He lived the wise life. How did he do it? Well, here's the secret sauce. He didn't do everything. He understood he lived in time. And so Jesus made priorities and he did them. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, went out, made his way to a deserted place and there he was praying. Simon and his companions searched for him and when they found him, they said, everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, let's go to the neighbouring villages so that I may preach there too. This is why I have come. Jesus looked at all the good things he could do in a 24-hour day. He prayed, he read his Bible, and then he set priorities and did them. It's as simple as that. He knew his mission was to teach the gospel to all, to preview the kingdom in words and actions, and to go to the cross to bring foolish people back to God. Jesus did not go to bed wondering if people approved him. He constantly let people down. 
Jesus said no to healing the sick. Can you imagine the frustration of people who didn't get healed? But Jesus made God-shaped priorities and he did them. And he is our model if we want to live wisely in time. This week, can I encourage you to write out the priorities of your life? With your Bible open and deep in prayer, what are the most important things God wants you to do with the very limited time and energy God gives you? I want you to be very specific. Don't just write down, love God, work hard, love my parents, follow Jesus. No, 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 no. Be really, really specific. The priority of my life is to spend two hours phone-free time with my children and my wife every day. That's on my list. Two hours phone-free time with wife and children a day. Second priority on my list. I'm going to pray daily for my friend to become a Christian for the next year. What's on your list? I know none of you want to do this. None of you do. Because you are scared, like I was, at what it will reveal about your heart. And it will prompt you to change in uncomfortable ways. Because we really like to hide behind being busy. But let's remember that if we don't do this this week, how we use our time this week will show the priorities of our life. For example, the priority you have on gathering with God's people each Sunday teaches your children the importance of God's church. You don't have to say a word, but they are learning by the priority you put on Sunday morning, how important God's church is. The priority you put on how many hours a week you work teaches your family how important they are compared to your work. Because how we use our time shows our priority. And setting priorities with God is the way to a wise life in time. So I'm going to try and convince you to do it. Okay, this is one of those applications you go, oh, thanks, preacher, that was good, and not do anything, right? Like, this is one of those ones I really think's worthwhile, okay? Here are five reasons. Number one, setting priorities reminds you that you're not God. It's your Toy Story 2 moment. DeYoung says, the person who never sets priorities is the person who does not believe in his own finitude. You don't do this, you are really trying to say to yourself, you're God. But setting priorities remind us that we're not God and we can't do everything and that's okay. Number two, setting priorities remind you that time is more limited than money. Stacks of you love money. Time is far more precious than money. Drucker says the supply of time is totally inelastic. No matter how high the demand, nobody has the ability to gain more time. Time is perishable. Yesterday's time is gone forever. You can't save it up, you can't borrow it, you can't steal it. It's there, you use it or it's gone. So time is scarce for everyone. And time, setting priorities with time helps you use it wisely. Number three, setting priorities helps us navigate what to do amongst a thousand good things. Jesus knew this. He knows there's a thousand good things you can do with today. And what he says here is this. God's word teaches what is absolutely necessary. 
So simple. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. Love your neighbor like you love yourself. What's the priority? Cherish the God who made you and saved you and love people more than stuff. If you love stuff more than people, you've got it backwards. Because God is into people and God is into loving his creatures in a beautiful relationship. But Jesus also helps us navigate care and do. Like Jesus, we are to care about everything. There is no place for indifference about suffering, injustice, homelessness, and especially the eternal judgment people will face in orange. But we can't do something about everything. Jesus didn't. We are to do something to help people. The wisdom of Jesus is great. Proximity is your guide. Jesus did not help the people living in India when he was alive. He helped those who are right in front of him. And what you can guarantee is God has put people in your path this week to love. People who are uncomfortable, people that will mean you need to sacrifice, people who are going to hell, and God has put them in your path for you to love. Don't be overwhelmed by the problems of the world. You don't have to do everything. God only asks you to do something. Number four, setting priorities helps us serve others effectively. Do you know God does not intend for you to serve only the loudest, neediest, most intimidating people in your life? Do you know that? Setting priorities ensures you serve the people you need to intentionally. Those of you who are dads, being a dad takes time. You need to give it time to be a dad. Building friendships beyond football talk takes time. Growing brothers and sisters at OEC cannot be squeezed in to 90 minutes on a Sunday morning. Priorities help us serve effectively. And number five, setting priorities helps us see we're less busy than we think. I think we enjoy the myth that we're more busy than the past generations. It gives us an excuse to be chaotic and unreliable. But the truth is, Jesus, the disciples and your grandparents had the same 24 hours that you do. They didn't have more time. They had exactly the same. Yes, we're in a more complex world. I get that. But here's the big change. We have lost healthy routines and boundaries. People used to go to work and then rest. They used to make sure that Sunday was precious. We now blur work and rest all the time. We are constantly on our phones, constantly connected, which means we never turn off. And we have made Sunday optional, not a day of rest with the Lord and his people. This has not made us better disciples. It has made us distracted. Setting priorities helps us protect important things like being a dad, being a husband, being a godly man, and those things for you. We're all dependent creatures living in time. God has a good life for us in time if we listen to him. Let's pray.
Lord God, our prayer for this four weeks is that you would help us live wisely in time. By the power of your spirit and through your word, make us listening disciples who reflect you well. Help us not to use busyness as an excuse not to be wise. Amen.